Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Alicia Anderson. We talk on this podcast how no matter how many times you give birth, each journey brings its own twists and turns. Alicia's journey is a true sentiment to that. What she has taken from her experiences and shares as her message to others is, there is no right or wrong way to do motherhood. It truly is an individualized journey, customized specifically for you and no one else. Hello, Alicia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I am so honored to be here today. By telling us a little bit about yourself and your family. Absolutely. So again, my name is Alicia Anderson. Um, On social media, I'm Allie Andy. Um, I am originally from Michigan, but I currently reside in Southern California. We've been here about two years. Um, I am a stillbirth survivor. Um, I am a baby loss advocate, a rainbow and golden mama. Um, I'm a wife of eight years. Um, My husband and I have been married eight years. We actually um, met at an internship in New York. Um, We both went to HBCUs. I went to FAMU. He went to Southern in Louisiana. And um, we met there. I thought it was just like a summer fling. And we are here eight years later with two kids. (laughs) Um, We dated long distance the entire time that we dated. We did not live in the same state or city until we got married. So um, we dated for four years until we got married in 2012. So It has been a journey for sure. (laughs) Sounds like it. Definitely, there is hope. Yes, there is. Relationships out there by listening. (laughs) Your story is so similar to my husband and I's. Ours started off as a summer fling that (laughs) did not stay as a summer fling. And then we were long distance for four years. Oh my gosh. I don't don't recommend it, but (laughs) if you can. If you can withstand love, you know, (laughs) go for it. (laughs) Exactly. And there was one point where he lived, I lived overseas and he was here in the States and that was the tricky one. Estimate. (laughs) Don't recommend it, but if you can do it, you got it. You You can do anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What I'm hearing is one star would not recommend it. (laughs) Right. That part. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancies? I know that there have been three, right? And that you wanted to share today. So however that works for you in flows, um, because sometimes they are so interconnected, but separate. Just however it works for you to just let it flow. Um, So I always start by saying that... um, my journey into motherhood was not necessarily planned, but um, like I said, my husband and I were long distance, so we did not want to get, you know, have children right away. So of course, as soon as you jump the broom, everybody's like, when are you having kids? Um, <laughs> so we waited till we got married in 2012. We found out we were expecting with our first um, little son in 2015. Um, I found out in August. So we were actually elated to be expecting. Um, Our pregnancy was amazing. I did not have any morning sickness. Um, Both of our families were excited. Um, I have two older brothers. So my brother closest to me in age has five children and the other had um, two at the time with one on the way. Um, He has four now. So 
my parents were no strangers to grandparenthood, but um, I am the only girl and I'm the youngest. So they were absolutely excited that I, we were expecting my husband's family. This was their first grandchild. So they were absolutely excited over the moon. Um, so just a lot of family support. We didn't tell a lot of people in that first trimester because we wanted to wait till we got out of the murky waters of you know, that first trimester. And so everything, like I said, went well. Um, until I went in for an ultrasound at 28 weeks. So I was just going in for a regular checkup. Um, they were checking to see if I had um, developed gestational diabetes. So I had to do this sugary drink. And while I was waiting for that to um, digest, the ultrasound technician called me back. We did an ultrasound. So we were in there, everything was going fine. She's going through the anatomy. And um, she just kind of kept saying there's not a lot of fluid around the baby, but this being my first pregnancy, I had no clue what that meant. So my husband was in there with me. We're just kind of looking at the screen all excited. And she says, I'm going to go get the doctor, so I'll be right back. So she left the room. And at that point, I knew something was wrong. But my husband is very, like, analytical, very engineer. <laughs> um, he's like, don't, don't worry. We're, you know, we're going to figure out what the problem is. We'll fix it. And so she comes back in the room and she doesn't have the doctor. So she's like, actually, I'm going to take you across the hall to talk with the doctor. Um, so at that point, I absolutely knew something was wrong. I didn't know what or to what extent. But um, she cleaned us up. We went over to the room and I saw two doctors there and one had a box of tissue. So that was like the setup for the announcement. So they're like, I'm sorry to tell you, but your son no longer has a heartbeat. And from that moment on, I could not hear much. Um, I pretty much wailed in the office. Um, so they kind of gave us a few minutes to kind of get ourselves together to process what they just told us. Um, that was a Friday. So that was January 15, 2016. And my husband and I were just in that room, just like shocked, devastated. Um, when they got back into the room, they asked, what would we like to do as far as um, having the baby? Since I was so far along, I would have to deliver. Um, they told me that we could go in that night and I could be induced, or they said I could come in sometime that weekend to be induced, or I could just let my body kind of go into labor naturally, with the, which they said could probably take up to two weeks. Um, I opted not to do that one just because they said there could be complications along the way with me as well as, you know, with the pregnancy and the delivery. So I decided to go in the day after. So my husband and I left. Um, we got home. We pretty much cried the whole night. Um, I ended up, he's like, get some rest so you can try to be focused for tomorrow. So before I laid down, um, we actually, one thing we did was Google what do you call a baby that dies at 28 weeks? Because we were never had dealt with that experience in anybody that we knew personally. Um, and that's when I found out the term stillborn. Um, so that is the first introduction to stillborn. So um, I Googled it. I read about what it is. I Googled images to see kind of what I would have to prepare myself for. And then before I went to bed, I journaled like everything I was feeling. I journaled, I cried, I wrote to my hand, got tired. And then um, I prayed, my husband and I prayed. Um, I prayed for peace in my delivery and just like to take over the situation because I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. Um, 
the morning of the next day we woke up went to the hospital um again we were fresh parents so we didn't know what to expect so i didn't pack a hospital bag anything i just thought like it would be a quick procedure go in have the baby and leave i didn't really understand that it was actually like you're doing the exact same thing that a mom that would be giving birth regularly would be doing um so my husband had to go back home and get like a hospital bag because we ended up being there for three days um, so they induced my labor, ended up um, finally ramping up with contractions on that second day, like early into the morning. Um, and I had my son, DJ, who's named after my husband, um, Derek. So he's a junior. Um, I had him at uh, 5.48 a.m. on January 18th, 2016. And he was one pound, five ounces. I always say it was like the most serene, um, peaceful environment. Like it was just my husband and I in the room. My mom did fly down from Michigan to be there, but she opted not to be in the room um, when the baby was born. So my husband and I were told that we could do whatever we wanted with the baby. If we wanted to hold him, see him, um, whatever our wishes were, our, the staff at our hospital was phenomenal as far as just preparing us for what would happen. Um, so in that moment, it was beautiful. Um, I held him. We were able to spend some time with him. They did um, fingerprints and footprints and measured him and weighed him and all the good stuff that they would typically do with a baby. Um, and then they uh, took him out and kind of um, got him cleaned up and things like that. And then they brought him back and took pictures of him. Um, all of this was free of charge. And then um, we were asked to figure out what we wanted to do with his body. So were we, whether we were gonna bury him or cremate, um, we had to decide those things as well. And so we decided to cremate him because at the time we were living in Georgia and we weren't sure how much longer we would be there. Um, so we didn't want to bury him there because we felt we would feel guilty if we left his body there without us being there. Um, so we opted to cremate. Um, they worked with a funeral home. They had a list of funeral homes that they work with and they do everything free of charge as well for baby loss moms. So they were able, we, we talked with the funeral home, they came and picked up his body and told us that when his ashes were ready, he, they would um, make sure we picked those up. And um, they actually donated a tree in his honor once we picked up his ashes. So, I mean, everything from a faith standpoint, everything went so smoothly. I prayed for peace that night prior to us going to the hospital. And I feel like God truly like aligned our story so that each section of our stay in the hospital was phenomenal for you know what we were going through um i had one nurse i still actually keep in contact with her but she was phenomenal in our care um she made sure to let us know like what the groundwork is for baby loss parents leaving because like in the hospital you're almost like in a bubble you're very insulated the staff knows you know, to be a little more cautious with you on our, they put us at the end of the hallway. So we, we did not see any pregnant ladies. We didn't hear any babies crying. They pretty much isolated us and make sure we were incubated from like the regular hustle and bustle of labor and delivery. So that was very great for our, you know, mental at that time. My nurse kind of prepared us for what would happen throughout the day. Um, and she even talked to us about grief and therapy and how grieving looks different for men and women. Like she broke it down so much for us that we felt a little bit more prepared leaving, um, even though, you know, we weren't 
in the best ideal situation, she did break it down for us to a point that we could feel confident leaving the hospital. Um, so I'm always grateful for her and the experience that she allowed us to have there. Um, but once we got home, real life hit. <laughs> Grief hit. Um, I cried probably every night for like six months straight. And at the time I was in school getting my second bachelor's. It was my senior year. Um, and it was the, my last semester. So I lost my son in January and our semester had just started back like earlier that January. So I was trying to juggle school and the grief of loss at the same time. Um, it was very tough. Um, but again, that kind of God silver lining that was there in my story, I was able to get free counseling because of school. We had a counseling department. I, I knew I wasn't getting better. Um, and my dad is actually a pastor. So, of course, I knew about faith and, you know, your belief in God and that he could carry you through. But it just like it wasn't resonating at the moment. Like I knew God was there in my story, but I just was like, I need something more like this just relying on my faith alone is not cutting it. Um, and I knew I had the, the prayer and support of my family um, and my friends, but I just didn't feel like I was getting better. And so I talked with my husband and he was like, let's seek some outside help. So when I found my counseling department, um, they made sure that I was able to get connected with an amazing counselor. Um, I got 10 free sessions. So it kind of carried me out throughout that last semester. Um, and she just really helped me see loss from kind of like a bird's eye view um, and gave me a lot of tips to help me um, just navigate grief and what that looks like. Um, one of the biggest things I took away from her was that your emotions are just that and they're not good or bad, they just are. Because <laughs> I would put such a negative connotation on being sad or, you know, just those anger, envy, or, or jealousy of like seeing people that were still pregnant or got to have their babies living or that had babies younger than mine that, that made it. And she was like, you know, it's okay to sit in those feelings, to hold on to them, acknowledge them, let them pass through, and then you can work on what's next. But it's important to let those feelings, you know, just kind of go through your body and sit in them and feel them so that you can kind of see the progression of um, towards healing. So that was a big step for me in kind of turning my leaf of from grief to kind of getting on the page of healing. Um, and that allowed us to try again. <laughs> um, so a lot of people ask me like, were you afraid? And absolutely I was. I was nervous the entire time um, when I got pregnant with my second baby, which we call our rainbow baby. Um, I was petrified when I found out, um, my husband and I initially with our first son, we did not tell anybody for 13 weeks that we were expecting. As soon as I found out with my rainbow baby, I told my parents and my brothers immediately and my husband the same. Um, we just wanted the prayers and support of people that were around us and that loved us so that we could make sure that we were covered. <laughs> because nine months is a long time and we were really afraid. And so um, that first probably, first half of my pregnancy, I was like anxious all the time, nervous. I was scared to kind of connect with my baby just because I'm like, just in case he doesn't make it, I don't want to be so attached that 
it is devastating again. Um, but I actually ended up reading a book that my mom recommended. Excuse me, it's called The 4-8 Principle, and it is by Tommy Newberry. And it really just talks about your mindset and how if you think something, you can't anticipate something else. And so I was like, if I want a healthy pregnancy, if I want a healthy baby, I have to think like I'm going to have that. And of course, just because you think something doesn't necessarily make it come true, but it does kind of help you um, focus your energy more so on an outcome versus just always tearing in that negative, pessimistic space. Um, so that really helped me personally as far as getting through my rainbow pregnancy. Um, so really that pregnancy actually physically went on without a hitch, but I always, I always say mentally I was having a battle, you know, within myself um, just to try to stay in the moment, be happy, kind of just enjoy the pregnancy as is. Um, so we got to 34 weeks and then um, the night we were painting the nursery, we went to bed in 3 a.m. that morning, my water broke. <laughs> so my baby was 34 weeks at the time. Um, we went into the hospital again, not prepared. It was the week after my <laughs> baby shower. So I was um, not anticipating going into the hospital, <laughs> had no hospital backpack. I was like, okay, so we go and we're just thinking like, okay, you know, maybe your water broke, but they'll send you back home. So they test me to see how far dilated I am. I was four centimeters. They were like, you guys are having a baby today. <laughs> so my husband was not ready at all. <laughs> um, so we went in, um, we got to the hospital at like 4 a.m. And by 12, I had my son. So again, he was born at 34 weeks. So he was laboring a little bit to breathe. Um, so of course I had all these grand ideas that I was going to do with them, skin to skin, breastfeed, all those good things. Um, I was like, I'm going to take advantage of my golden hour. I'm going to do everything with my baby. I'm so excited. And as soon as he got out, I held him. I was so excited. And then they took him away and said, we need to take him to the NICU. Um, so you can imagine like all the, <laughs> I was able to breathe because I saw him, I heard him cry for the first time. So that part of it was amazing. But then the anxiety rushed back as soon as they had to take him to the NICU. Um, anybody that knows the NICU life, it's very, it's up and down, very uncertain. Um, my son only spent a week in the NICU. So I was thankful for that, but just within that week, my emotions were all over the place. Hormones were all over the place. So I always talk about my postpartum for my second pregnancy was horrible. Um, I don't, I never was um, diagnosed, but I know I had some type of postpartum. I don't know if it was baby blues or full on postpartum, but I was so overwhelmed because I was excited to bring my son home but I also was like still grieving because I'm like this should have been my first son he should have been this old by now you know so trying to grieve the loss of him still while having a newborn and then him being in the NICU and he was hooked up to all these machines like my husband didn't even want to hold them because he was he looked so delicate um it was just tough. He had jaundice, so we had to put him under the lights. It was just a whole lot very quickly. Um, and so I always say those two pregnancies kind of stretched me in ways that I didn't know that I could be stretched as a mom. And it just taught me very early on, 
motherhood is very unpredictable. Um, I always say that having living children is an underrated blessing. Being a black woman and making it out of a hospital alive is an underrated blessing um, because we know that there's so much going on in this baby delivery space with black moms and babies. Um, so I just found that motherhood has been um, very, very unpredictable. The journey there has been crazy. Um, and then with my last pregnancy, um, I just gave birth in April, so <laughs> I have a five-month-old, um, so exciting. We were excited when we got pregnant. We weren't necessarily, necessarily planning, but um, our son, um, our, our rainbow baby is three and a half now, so we felt, you know, we had a little bit of a, a good gap in between the two where we can try again, and so we got pregnant pretty quickly. Um, I was, by the time I was pregnant, we moved to California at the time. So I ended up having to find a whole new medical staff to help me with this pregnancy. Um, so I specifically looked for a black doctor. So I found a black um, woman, OBGYN. So she was phenomenal. And then she actually recommended me to a high risk doctor because of my loss in my early pregnancy with my second son. So I had those two in tandem and, um, they work well as a team. They definitely listen to my concerns. Um, so I would definitely suggest if you can, you know, try to seek a doctor that you really trust and can, you know, work in partnership with you during your pregnancy. Um, my high-risk doctor actually, um, because when, with my first pregnancy, I never found out the cause of why he passed. We did an autopsy but we never, they never could tell us anything. Um, so my high-risk doctor, just looking at my records, he was like, oh, you know, based off of what you've told me, I don't know for sure, but he suggested that I probably had something with my cervix that maybe it didn't have a good start um, when it first, um, when I first got pregnant and some of the, it must have gotten detached somehow and like the nutrients and stuff that would pass through, we're not going to the baby. And so he suggested that's probably how my first son passed. Um, so that was like, it felt good to kind of get a little bit more closure in that aspect of that pregnancy. But as far as my third pregnancy, um, it went on without a hitch as well. I had all my prenatal appointments um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so, um, that was in March and um, I had just went to an event. Um, it was about um, black women um, mortality and having babies. And I met a girl there who they were looking for um, people to be in their program. They were doulas and they were looking for black women that lived in LA County that were having babies and the first half of 2020. And so I had been praying for a doula, but I didn't know the specific way to go about getting one. And so that like little birdie just dropped in my lap. I think I was about maybe 30 weeks at the time. Um, so we kind of kept in contact after that. Um, we were gonna set up my birth plan and all those good things. And then once COVID hit, um, we just kind of talked via phone because she wasn't able to come to any of my appointments and things like that. So we just kind of kept, kept up virtually. And then um, on, my son was due in May, but um, I had a 30, 30, 
five week appointment. Um, I was at this point, I was getting checked pretty much every week, twice a week. Um, and so I had an appointment that Thursday um, in April. So it was April 9th, which is when I had the appointment. I was coming home from my appointment. I was turning into my where I stay and somebody hit me from behind in the car. <laughs> it was a small little fender bender. It wasn't anything crazy, but um, that happened. And then the next morning, my water broke. So I think that <laughs> the, the, the accident kind of jump-started my labor, but my doctor said it's probably just that my body is used to just pushing our babies early. Um, so that little incident set off the motion. Um, it was crazy because we were actually, my husband that morning, it was his birthday. He was going to get us a new truck. <laughs> so he was going to pick the truck up. He left to <laughs> head to the place and he was like, I'm going to go stop and get gas first before I get on the road because the place was like an hour away. And as soon as he left, my water broke. So I called him and I'm like, I think my water broke. I think you may need to come home. <laughs> um, I don't know for sure, but I think you should come home. So he turns around. Um, I pretty much started packing my hospital bag. Um, we had to figure out arrangements for our oldest son because at this time you couldn't bring anybody to the hospital um, besides your birthing person. So I could not have my doula there with me. So I was bummed about that. Um, but she did kind of walk me through some things that morning just to kind of keep me at ease, keep, you know, just to keep me mentally sound um, and kind of talk my husband through some things as well. And so once we checked into the hospital, um, they kind of took our temperature, we got hand sanitizer, we definitely had to wear masks. We were asked to stay in our room pretty much the entire time. Um, we were not allowed to leave for food or anything like that as far as my husband. So we pretty much just had to order food from the hospital while we were there. Um, and everything actually went on without a hitch. Um, my son came within that next day. So he was like my husband's birthday surprise baby. Um, and he was born at 35 weeks. So um, we were surprised that he did not have to spend any time in the NICU, but um, we were just ecstatic that he was here healthy during the pandemic. We, everything checked out. So we didn't stay long. I think we stayed two days in the hospital, but our staff was great again with him and, um, that's pretty much my long story of my pregnancies, but. <laughs> so many things on my mind. Yes. So many things on my mind. She was thorough, though. Yes. She was thorough. I, I was like, that. she hit everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, she got it. She got it. <laughs> right. She got it. She, she read her notes. She got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to remark though about your intentions with the stillbirth um, that yes. stuck out to me so much is that mm -hmm. you prepared yourself and your husband in a way that um, I haven't really heard before and not mm -hmm. that people don't do it but um, even down to looking at what your baby would look like um, because I think that can be a shock for some people yes. um, not really knowing like how small they are um, and just the details of it, right? Yeah. Um, that people don't really share and it's hard. It's hard to talk um, and say, right? One thing I would um, say too, um, sorry to cut you off, but one thing I would say, I had texted a friend when I got home 
because I didn't want to talk to people then because I was still trying to process. And of course, everybody's trying to figure out what's happening. But one of my friends said that her cousin actually had a stillbirth because we were very unsure if we were going to see him or not. And that was one thing that she absolutely stressed to me. Like, if you can, even if it's really, really hard, see your baby, spend time with him, because this is like the first and the last time that you'll get this moment. Um, so she definitely stressed trying to see him, trying to spend time with him. And I think that was the best advice I could have been given as a stillbirth mom, um, just to relish in that time and um, advocate for yourself if your hospital, if they do allow you to see him or see your baby, do it because that's literally the only time that you get that moment. Um, I always say it's, you say your hello and your goodbye the same day. And it's, it's very difficult, but it, it does give you a little piece of closure. Um, that and the pictures were probably the two best things that I had from that moment, just actually spending time with him. Right. I think it's beautiful, too, um, that you guys chose not only to name your baby, but that your husband was able to give your baby his name. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be hard, knowing that that little junior is never going to be running around. Behind exactly. You, you know? Yeah. Um, that was a hard part for me um, when we first found out. I, I apologized to my husband so much. Like, I felt like it was my fault that my body failed mm -hmm. him um, because he was so excited about having a junior. And so when they asked us in the hospital, what do you want to name the baby? I was like, are you sure you want to do this baby with the junior? And he was like, we've been calling him that the whole time. That's his mm -hmm. name. So, you know, we'll make sure that that is special for him. So yeah, mm -hmm. that was a pretty special time for, for my husband as well. Mm -hmm. It's just so like, you speaking about the relationship of your nurses and that you still talk to one of your nurses now, mm -hmm. just how integral that is about supporting people. Yes. How important that can be. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then how you said, like, you know, you're in this bubble and then you leave. Yeah. That, having that care, but then also having someone who was like, this is what you need to know. Exactly. Walk out this door. <laughs> This is what I, I think that that like it, it sounded in the way that you were able to care for yourself afterwards, that that helped in that. Process. Yes. Because I don't yes. think that everyone's getting that like, yes, we're here for you. But when you leave, it's going to feel a little it's going to feel different. very isolating. Yes. Very yes. isolating. And it's so good. Like, I just think that so many people are unequipped with loss. Um, our society in general is not prepared for loss, any type of loss. It doesn't just have to be your baby. And we're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. So a lot of people want to move past it because they think that's the best thing for the mom. And for me, talking about my son was the absolute best thing for me as far as healing. I know everybody is not willing to share their story, but I was like an open book because I needed to get those emotions out of me um, because I was struggling. So I'm like, just because I was prepared and knew maybe a little bit of what was to come, it still was very difficult. So I don't want people to think like, oh, if I know that this is gonna happen, you know, it'll make my journey a lot more easy. It, it helps, but it definitely, you still have to go through all the ebbs and flows of grief, or grief and that's fine too, you know. Right. And um, you know, with your second son, I think that like you described, it showed up in your postpartum. Yes. Like having to find that balance of, I'm so happy. I'm so in love, so in love with my kid, but I'm also now real like realizing yes. that I didn't have with exactly. my first son. 
Yes. Like you just realize all the things that you're missing. And it's really like, it's the second time you're going through it, but really the first. So it's like, I should have a one-year-old when I'm celebrating his first birthday or, you know, it's just all those little things that people think, oh, well, she had another baby. I always say your rainbow baby is not a replacement baby. They are a good baby. You know, it is helpful to heal your heart, but they never replace the baby. I'm like, you never can replace a child. Like, no matter if you can see them or not, I know that he was here. I know that he existed. And so that's why I always love to talk about him. I try to celebrate him and honor him in any way that I can, because I don't want people as his mom to feel that he's not important just because they cannot see him. You know, I want to honor him in his time here on earth, you know. That's important. That's an important part of grief is always remembering and speaking of um, mm -hmm. people we lose, even if they're little people, right? Yeah. We still had memories that pregnancy still really happened, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. When I think about your other pregnancies, um, well, all of them really, especially like when you talk about your placenta, um, did you get a chance to really talk to your doctor about what was going on um, because you did end up having early babies, right? So they looked and they were like, everything looks fine. Um, and they never really kind of came to a conclusion as far as why. Um, they did have, my high risk doctor put me on progesterone. So it was like a nightly suppository that I was taking and they were hoping that I could get to at least 37 weeks. Um, so when I, I thought I was doing so well, like I was, again, I was going to my high risk doctor in my OBGYN very often, even during the pandemic, um, I still had in-person visits. So I thought that I was going to be able to make it. They were like, we're doing this. You know, they had me on iron pills. They had me on, um, some type of like, um, like an ibuprofen just for my blood, you know, like. I felt like we were checking every box. And so for my body to still go into labor early was like, not again, you know? Um, so I still haven't figured that piece out yet. Right. And now they're even saying like, that the progesterone is not even working for most people. Yeah, because like, they, they wanted they to do the shot and um, my high-risk doctor was like, I think you should try the suppository to see. And he's like, I think that one works better than the shot. Um, but again at the end of the day it didn't it did not work for me so right right yeah but you knew to get you your bag <laughs> by the third time <laughs> i was finally ready i was like i got me a hospital bag finally <laughs> you knew by then getting up to go have babies like, no, i'm not gonna run my husband will be right back frantic that day like he's like hurry up we gotta go i'm like i am gonna pack my bag <laughs> You're gonna wait for me to pack this bag. I will be ready this time. <laughs> so yes, it was it was just like I never understood. Like I always thought, you know, once you decide you wanna get pregnant, you get pregnant, you have your baby, you live happily ever after. And it's like, no, that is not the truth. That, that is not the case. Um, at least for me it was not so. I always just say, you know, motherhood is your own journey. Like you just embrace everything that comes with it because there's so many changing or moving parts that happen when you become a mom. So you yeah. just have to have grace with yourself, you know. I think that also goes back to your, your statement about we don't like being uncomfortable. And yeah. we're also very ill-equipped with loss 
yes. and difficult yes. things. We don't yes. talk about them. We no, don't do want to deal with them straight on. So then people don't know. Mm-hmm. People don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was before my daughter. I didn't know that people like could lose children so late. In exactly. I definitely thought it was something that happened like in the first trimester. Absolutely. And, yes. You know, then we had a friend who lost her child at uh, almost forty weeks. Oh and I was God. like, wait. Yeah. Why has nobody <laughs> ever talked about like why why have I like am I just now finding this out? It, 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 like, literally, I was so surprised, like, when we had to, when we left that office and got home, my husband, I always call him, like, my rock, he was so, like, he, he let me lean on him so tough, and I always feel so bad for baby lost dads, because they, I was like, we hardly get the recognition, is, you know, a baby lost parent in general, um, it's a very underground kind of thing. I I almost feel like you're getting inducted into like some secret society because when I got the resources from my hospital about like baby loss groups, I went in and it's like a whole separate world. Like there's so many people that lose babies on a daily basis. Um, and I have dedicated my social media to just being a baby loss advocate, being a listening ear, because those are things that I wish I had. I actually wrote a book back in 2018. Um, it's called Still Here, A Memoir of Love, Loss, and Triumph After Stillbirth. And I basically just showed, chronicled my journey from when I found out all the way up to having my rainbow baby. And I could tell, I wrote it at different stages of my grief journey. So I can tell the very early stages when I was very raw and just upset, the why, why me, you know, all of those phases of just like, this does not make sense in my story. Like, this is not supposed to happen to me, you know, um, all the way up to kind of coming to terms with my grief, coming to terms with my son and realizing that he may not be, I may not raise him in a physical form, but I'm still in charge of his legacy, of who he is, who I present to him as um, to people that he is a part of me. Like, if you hear me, you hear DJ, you see him, you, in all my work, you know, his, my love for him does not change. Um, so that part has just been a beautiful part of my journey. It's just kind of been like a purpose kind of turn, you know, I, I feel like my son brought me purpose, um, and has given me some meaning behind what I'm doing currently. So. That was beautiful. Thank you. Reminds me of Tupac now. Right? <laughs> you know, like whenever you think about stuff recently, like, did she open that? Like, right. That's what that's what I think. Are we gonna be like, uh, I heard about DJ did Alicia, did you? <laughs> hey, was that you? <laughs> making sure. I just pulled up his book too. Yeah. On, yes, on Amazon. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's like, it has been just a, such a therapeutic piece of my journey um, for me. And then just to see four years removed from my loss, how my book can still help other moms that are literally, like I have moms that inbox me on a weekly basis. Like I just lost my baby last week or, you know, at the very beginning. And I can identify with that girl because I always say, the mom that I was then, she's no longer here. Like the mom that before I knew what baby loss was, she is absolutely not here anymore. Um, 
And I had to come to terms with that. Like, it's okay. You have to start all over and shift your normal to who this new person is um, after loss. Like, because that, that, you know, blind, blissful, rosy colored glasses, mom, she's not there, you know? So I had to definitely give myself grace in that aspect. Hearing about your healing. Um, the one thing I, I just was looking at my notes that I wanted to touch on a little bit. And I think for many of us who, who practice faith, um, we do lean into our faith in mm-hmm. hard times. Like that's, that's what we do good or bad. Like that's what we lean into. Um, and just hearing like your recognition of, I know I'm a faithful person. I believe in my God. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a meaning behind this and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I need more help and yes. that's okay. Yes, yes. And this was my first time in therapy or counseling or, you know, um, so I was very hesitant, but I was like, I'm just not getting better. Like, I just knew, I was like, this is not me. I'm usually like a very happy, you know, optimistic person. And I just felt so low. Um, But I have to say, even in my lowest of moments, I did feel the presence of God there. Like, I know he said, you know, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And I definitely felt that. Because I was like, there are times, there's a part in my book I talk about, I was out, um, I had been invited to a friend's birthday party, and it was late at night, I was driving back to my brother's house in Atlanta, it was a dark road, and I could see this semi-truck passing, and my mind was like, just pull out in front of it, and you can end it all, so you don't have to worry about this hurt, you know, and I could just feel in that moment, like, when I passed it, I got to my brother's house, and I broke down, because I was like, just in that second, like if I if I would have, you know, took to what my mind was telling me, I, it could have been over just like that. And I was like, imagine all the people that I would have hurt with that action. So just knowing that, yes, you're going to be in some low, dark, you know, it, it could get rough, very rough, but God is, is still there. But also, I think your faith coupled with therapy and help is like the winning formula because you can have, you know, the things that sustain you when you're by yourself, but you can also have somebody that you can talk to in person that can help, you know, in your day to day. Thank you for that, that transparency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's things that we don't like to talk about, especially not in the Black community. Like, yeah. Color in general, like those lows, we don't tell anybody who's going to act like that, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, it's like, <laughs> then they don't think I'm crazy or then they don't think this, like. Right. Or walk on eggshells around mm-hmm. me. Like, that yeah. vulnerability and being able to just share that with somebody. Like, that's not always easy within it's our not. families or in our friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my mom always says she's very private. <laughs> my dad is a share, like an overshare. And my mom is like, zip lip. <laughs> so I'm kinda, I kind of fall in between them. But she was saying that just hearing me tell my story over and over has helped her to kind of grapple with the fact that, you know, DJ was no longer here. And she was like, you know, as a grandparent, we're dealing with the lost double fold mm-hmm. because we, as our child, we can't do anything for you. There's nothing we can do to make it better. And as a grandparent, you know, you that's a child that you were looking forward to meeting. So, I mean, baby loss touches so many different people um, in your circle and, you know, even outside of your circle. It just, it hits a lot of people. I mean, you can, you can hear how DJ is 
a part of you and a absolutely part of your, household, your household. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other ways that you are helping uh, his his siblings kind of remember him and and know him? Yeah, so like the awesome thing, I when Grayson is my rainbow baby. Um, when he was born, ever since he was born, I always had pictures or things from DJ. So we got memory box, a memory box from the hospital that had you know blankets that he was wrapped in. Um, they took pictures. So we just always had things around the house that were DJs. We have his urn um, that has his little ashes in it that we keep. So just little memories of DJ. And so it, as soon as I could, you know, where Grayson started to understand, I always said, this is DJ. I had a picture on my phone of him. So he would, once he started talking, I was like, who's that? DJ, DJ. So he just, and we pray every night we pray and we say, God bless big brother DJ. I was telling him he's in heaven. He watches over us. Um, so I've always wanted to incorporate him into just the fabric of our family. And so the more that I talk about it, it seems normal, you know? Um, and so when I say, who's your brother, you know, Grayson's like DJ and Gavin, you know, so he, it's just kind of part of the fabric. And once my little guy gets older, you know, we'll definitely start to introduce DJ to him as well. We always celebrate his birthday every year. So we do, you know, at least a cupcake or something, a balloon release, whatever, just to make sure that we're incorporating those dates. And then another really, um, um, milestones are really big in the, in the baby loss space. And so his due date was one thing that I always wanted to keep sacred. Um, it's usually a really difficult day for a lot of baby loss parents because it's like, this is the day that my baby should have been here. And we know that usually babies aren't typically born on their due date, but it's just like that, that date in your head that you can keep, you know, something along with their memory. So the first year that we lost DJ, I knew that I wanted to do something. I had talked to my dad about it. And so he was like, you may want to try to find something that you can do on that day every year so that it doesn't have to have a sad connotation to it. So we started doing Do Good for DJ Day. So I asked all my friends and family to just do a random act of kindness for somebody in honor of DJ on that day. So, you know, people have, you know, we've purchased lunch for people in line behind us at a restaurant or you know went into a restaurant and just grabbed somebody's you know bill and paid for it and left and just different things to kind of again sprinkle dj's you know legacy around in in the day you know so that we can have a happy countenance <laughs> to that day so it's not all tears you know we i still cry and i still miss him a lot but i try to turn those things into happy moments that I know I'm, you know, building and can make him, you know, know that he's still loved and still remembered. That's absolutely (laughs) beautiful. Thank Um, you. Such a wonderful way. Just beautiful all around. Thank you Um, so much. We will be putting in the show notes your book, um, leading people to your page, um, finding ways people to connect with you. But is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, leave them with, resources, advice, anything? Um, just, all, just be graceful with yourself if you are dealing with loss. Um, it is a very difficult thing to do, but you can get to the other side of it. Um, in the moment, it may look very bleak, but again, um, I would say find at least one person, whether that's a friend, family member, therapist, whatever, pastor, clergy, whatever you need to do to get 
that information out so that you can start to process, do that. Um, writing, journaling was humongous for me during my um, journey of healing. Um, that's kind of what led me to write my book. So just really kind of checking in with yourself to see how you're doing. I think journaling helps track to see your progress. And if you don't feel like you're getting better, it's always okay to ask for help. Um, nothing wrong with that. So. <laughs> thank you thank you thank you ladies thank you thank you for sharing for that yeah i really appreciate you guys for allowing me to thanks for listening to birth stories in color to hear this show and other episodes head to birthstoriesincolor.com